you have your wet season, your dry season, right? And so like you, you have yes. to collect almost all your year's worth of water in the wet season to last you, right? Is that yeah. the idea? It, it, and it's, it is almost six months. So it's almost split exactly six months of whatever rain we're going to get. And the next six months, there'll be almost no rain. It'll be it'll be quite an interesting event to get a rain over you know rain shower over summer. So the um the, the the local government actually sets a minimum standard on how much water. This is the Farm Hop Life podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRozier. On the Farm Hop Life podcast, we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people. Could be a college student grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio a former VP of marketing for Del Taco now raising cattle in Montana, or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years. This show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you, that we all make mistakes, we all have bad days, but we can reach out and help one another thrive in giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself. One thing that that I remember you posted on Twitter that was like, wait, what was this baby kangaroo that you have? Is it still around? Yep, it's still around, and its its um, child is still around. We don't know whether the child is a male or a female yet, because we don't know much about them. But, uh, yeah, uh, we started off calling the kangaroo heat. I was assumed it was a boy, and then I saw the head pop out of the pouch one day, and I went, oh, I guess you're not a heat anymore. Um we sort of played with Heather and then decided on Tilda. So, yes, yeah, they're both around. The the pair or just the young one? I oh, know the, 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 the Joey. The, the Joey and, and the mum are still around, yeah. Nice. We just don't know the sex of the, uh, of the Joey yet. Do, do they like eat? the like the food in your garden or what do they do they cause a nuisance um they're absolutely not a nuisance it's the wildest thing i i um, actually filmed tilda gently pushing through the through the vegetable garden um, pushing cabbages and broccoli aside just to find a bit of grass that she wanted to eat they they almost refuse to eat vegetables um they're looking for grass so they're basically weeding out vegetable gardens Hey, nice. Now, you, if only you had a couple more. I don't know about that. Two is two is perfect. What about what about other things in Australia that are going to kill you? Like um, I don't know, snakes and I guess uh, do do wedge-tailed eagles attack people? Ah, uh, not people. Um. They they aren't here. Uh, they're about not too far away, maybe twenty kilometers away. I'll start seeing um, wedge tails in the sky, but I, I almost never see them in the sky over here. We have the smaller coets, the hawks, um, in this area, which do pose a uh, do pose a threat to the chickens. But what we've discovered uh, recently is um, they only attack chickens that are on their own, and any chickens that are getting the goat in the same yard. Our goats have never lost a chicken from there. So something about goats. That's interesting. They stay away. 
I've never heard of goats being a, like a livestock guardian animal. Neither had I, but I, I just noticed the pattern. And um, in fact, we've had chickens fly out of the goat yard, and we find them the next day um, torn apart in a bear yard that didn't have any animals. Oh, hopefully they learn natural selection determines that chickens that stay with the goats are chickens that get to life all day. So, what are, what are some other predators in uh, in Australia? Are you on you're on the western side of Australia? Is that right? On the western side, yes. Yep. Okay. Country. Yes. Snakes. Snakes are bad. Well, snakes. Um, we've had we've got um, pythons here. Um, they've actually gotten into our brooder and taken some chicks, and so I've seen. Um, I discovered one morning two of our fledglings, um, their whole head and sort of neck up to the shoulders looked like it had been sucked on. And my guess is the pythons uh, tried to eat them. Ah, oh, this isn't going to happen. But our pythons are small. Because uh, we're not there to be afraid of So um, they could take a chick, but obviously they tried to eat a uh, fledgling and just couldn't do it and spat it back out. And killed them, which is so. Um, but with the poisonous snakes, I have noticed that the more I develop the garden, um, the more civilized, I suppose you could call it, I've made the place, they tend to hear it. And it's actually been a couple of years since I've seen one of the uh, venomous snakes around the place, which means well, that's good, not there, but I haven't been seen anywhere near as much now that we've developed the gardens. Sure. So, like, whatever habitat they like, you're getting rid of that habitat, and they're going elsewhere. So, yes, I'd, I'd say it's it skinny. Uh, it's just a different, maybe it's a micro climate. Don't like it as wet. And sure. Right. I had my my place is a total mess, pretty much all the time, and I had some like netting laying on the ground i had used it to make like a covered part for uh when when we had meat birds we needed them outside because they were stinking up the basement real bad and so you know we have hawks and eagles and stuff out here too owls whatever so i put this netting up over the top to keep them to at least keep the uh the chicks at least somewhat protected. I mean, they could like fly under it or whatever if they wanted to. But anyways, so I had a roll of this stuff on the ground. It'd just been sitting there for a year. And I go out. I was actually like video calling my parents and I'm just like showing them what was new. Hey, we put in some raspberries over here kind of thing. And there's these two snakes wound up in this netting and it was, it was bad. Um, I was like, hey, I gotta, I gotta go, like, I gotta go get these snakes out. And so, um, I finished talking with my parents. My wife was just recording me. Like, I don't, I didn't, I'm not familiar with all the snakes here. They had patterns similar to like a rattlesnake because we do have those here, but the head looked different. And I looked it up and I'm like, 
it doesn't look it looks like a gopher snake and so just to be safe like i put on like leather gloves and like a jacket in case it did try to like bite me but i took like these little pair of like gardening uh kind of like shears that like kind of like scissors but not not that style anyways so then i was like i meticulously was like cutting the netting out to let the let the snakes go free and I got one, put it in a pillowcase, and then put the pillowcase in like a cat carrier, and then I got the other one out and did the same thing, and I let them. I wanted to keep them uh, on the property, but my wife was like, "No," and so I brought them down the road and let them go. All right. Oh, snakes are good because um, if you don't have snakes, you gotta have mice. We do have mice. Yeah. That's why I wanted to keep them, and now we have a cat. Yeah, that works. And cats don't eat eggs. <laughs> I, I think the good thing here is um, if it doesn't have the distinctive camo of a python, I assume it's going to kill you. That, that's a pretty uh, safe, safe thing. So we have, either have pythons or something that will kill you. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty dramatic. That it's either like, oh, it's a python, or what's going to kill you? Yes. It makes it a lot easier. So what do you what do you have for... Uh, you're, you're the second Australian that I've talked to. Actually, the other one was uh, on the East Coast. And she said that she keeps, I think, a shotgun for... Man, did she say that she keeps a shotgun, or she keeps like a... Sh- a machete or something or both to dispatch snakes that she finds in the yard so like has it do you keep anything to dispatch snakes or do you just hit it with a shovel no i i i just i i leave them alone um, you leave them alone okay yeah if they're venomous uh if in summer i make a habit of um being a little bit noisy I'm moving around the place, stomping, scuffling, and so forth. And um, they don't want to attack you. They, they want to keep well away from you, and they'll defend themselves if you step in one of them. So, um, sure. it sounds like what we do for bears out here. Like, don't go through the woods being all nice and quiet. Like, make some noise, because the worst thing that you could do is surprise a bear. Yeah, you startle a snake and it's going to bite you instinctively and then take off and you want to avoid the instinctive biting, so you just make a lot of noise. So far that's worked, I haven't been bitten yet. I keep meaning to do a venomous snake handling course and like most things, they keep getting bumped down, bumped down, bumped down as more important things go up the list. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm still meaning to do that course. Have you taken, in in your area, have you taken any, let's say, homestead education courses or classes or workshops, community, anything, anything like that? No, there doesn't seem to be that sort of thing. We're, our homesteading culture is very poor here in the U.S. It's just, it's, most people wouldn't even know what that word meant. So basically, I've I, 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 I've learned pretty much everything, either YouTube or social media. 
Um, mm. In fact, a lot of my most of my foundation is from Jack's book. Listening to his um, podcast, that that's where I got like ninety percent of all my knowledge. Let's watching his show, and then he do some sort of interesting project. I go, oh, I'm going to do that interesting project, and just start learning and making mistakes along the way. So, yeah, let's let's get into that. So then, is that how you came to get into homesteading? Then is through the survival podcast or. Uh, no, the podcast won't be getting homesteading. Um, I was living in suburbia. Uh, I was content with my suburban life. And um, the the, uh, the girl I was living with at the time, she brought home these um, Bill Wallace books. It wasn't um, his, his permaculture design. It was like permaculture one, maybe, and one of the other books. I had a bit of a read through those. And I thought, oh. No, none of this makes sense. I don't like this. Um, took, and then the, uh, a few days later, she brings home Guy's Garden by Toby Hemingway. Mm-hmm. And I read through that and I was hooked. It was just the different style, the different delivery. Um, he he laid it all out perfectly, and, and I absorbed everything in the world's book. But no, I have to. I have to leave the city now. I have to buy a little bit of land. I have to do what Toby's telling me to do. And from there, I got onto Paul Wheaton. His um, got onto his website. I uh, listened to a few bit of his stuff from Paul Wheaton. I learned about Jack Burko. and then I sort of almost transitioned from um, uh, Paul Wheaton to Jack Burko, listening to him exclusively. And from there, um, with Jack's interview each week, you know, I just discovered the rest of the home system. and it went from there. I eventually sold up, sold up in the city, and. Uh, land out here, built a makeshift shed, which I'm still living in, and uh, yeah, just everything led from there. So what, uh, about what year did you, did you get out to the, like, get out of suburbia? 2012, we saw, 2009, um, I bought the property, and uh, 2012, Sold the property and moved out. So nice. Three years was spent just building, uh, building the shed, preparing the um, house site, and uh, getting a foundation for the house site. And then uh, we decided, no, this is taking too long to build the house. Just sell up, move into their shed, and uh, cut all ties. Um, yeah, so 2012. Made the permanent move here, and uh, since then I've been um, slowly developing things as I learn about them, making mistakes, starting new things, seeing what works and what doesn't work. Your your house then, so you're you're just doing all the work yourself, I'm assuming. Yes, all except the foundation. Um, I'm gonna I'm building all the walls myself, and then I'm going to have a suspended concrete slab as as the roof just to make it into a, a bushfire roof bunker so that's maybe the biggest um, threat here is if a uh, inferno like fire so I want this thing to be perfectly um, temperature wise constant and bushfire mm-hmm. which is which means a concrete, a concrete roof so I won't be doing that obviously I'm going to get some professionals into all that that's a that's a huge issue here in Venezuela. 
a floating concrete roof? Yes. Much Suspended like, concrete roof? Suspended concrete roof. Like you'd have on the first floor of a car uh, yeah, level building or car park. Got to see what, what this looks like. Bro, yep, okay. So, yep, I see what you mean. It does just look like a, like a, um, like that they called it a car park. Yes. Yeah, parking garage. That's what, that's what we call it here. Parking garage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah, that should, uh, that should do it. So then what goes on top of the concrete? Anything? Or is it just like. No, no, I'll put a, um, I'll put a tin roof as, uh, as rain catch. Right, because concrete's porous. That makes sense. Yes, yeah. and also uh, hard to move into into gutter because uh, here um, guttering is very important. Because we, I know in the US there are, there are bizarrely restrictions on capturing rainwater there, which is um, some yeah, some places. Yep. Yeah. In Australia, it's like almost our god given right to be able to capture rainwater, and here we don't have any scheme water. So um, you either you're either catching it yourself, you're paying for a truck equally, and those wow, I've done that, and those trucks are expensive. So that you know, it's, it's capture all your rainwater. So yeah, the roof will be designed to uh, direct rainwater in the tanks. Right, how big is the tank that you have to hold the water? Because then and then you have to because you you have your wet season, your dry season, right? And so like you you have yes. to collect almost. All your year's worth of water in the wet season to last you, right? Is that yeah. the idea? It, it, and it's, it is almost six months, so it's almost split exactly. Six months of whatever rain we're going to get, and the next six months, there'll be almost no rain. It'll be it'll be quite an interesting event to get a rain, over, you know, rain shower over summer. So the, um, the, the, the local government actually sets a minimum standard on how much water you can have on the property if you don't live there. So, so they have hmm. um, standards for minimum on this tank. So then did you calculate how big your roof is going to be to be like, okay, this is how much rain, like I have this amount of surface area, so I, if we have an inch of rain, that's X number of gallons um, or liters, whatever? I, I, I didn't, um, it's basically the, it, whatever area the footprint of the house is, the roof space is, and the, the shed is almost as big as the same as the house. So it's it's more about maximizing the capture catchment area, more so than coming up with a specific number. It's like more rates are always going to be better. And yeah, I didn't know if you scaled the house to catch more rain. No, no. The, the, the okay. Fit big house and uh, whatever rain gets caught gets caught. And there's always um, sheds and uh, chicken coops. And everything's got uh, uh, a gutter on it. Yeah. Um, sure. To somewhere. Sure. So when you're done with the house, do you have like an estimated date of completion or year of completion? Like give it another year or two and you're done? Or. Uh, as in my personal goals, um, well, it would have been nice to have done it like 10 years ago, but uh, like everything else on homesteading, it's always a work in progress. 
And the, unfortunately, the shed is very little room and quite comfortable, so that, that doesn't work. Um, if I was doing it harsh, that might have been the incentive to really get out there and spend every wait and moment in the house, but it's not harsh in the shed. It's quite pleasant, so I, I get the house when I can. And we, we both want it to be finished, but it's quite a nice house. It's going to be a, a lovely house when it's done. So the incentive is there to finish it, but I don't want to um, rush into it and stay. An error. Um, so we just steadily start plodding along, getting it. And but when you do get done, will you be debt-free like will you have a debt-free home then um i've only got about twenty thousand left in the mortgage which is my only debt so i'm not i made it vow not to go into debt for the building of the house that also doesn't help with how long it's taken to build so um it's cash cash uh when i save up some cash i can build cement um without um, reinforcing rods uh, and just moves along as the money goes. I've made it bound not to go into it. So, being part of like, so, so did you design this house or did you hire somebody to design this for you or? Um, the house is pretty much as described in Bill Morrison's design menu. Really, you split it in half. You don't have um, you either have the back half of that, the um, pole facing half of the house, and the equator facing half of the house. You have certain rooms on the um, eastern side uh, where the sun comes up, and you have certain rooms that go on the western side where the where the sun sets in the summer. So I, I read I read that entire section about how to design the perfect house, and I I drew it down. I drew it on a piece of paper and I took it to an architect and the architect turned it into the corner for a Nice. Very so nice. It's not my own design. It's pretty much got more so design. But I mean, was the, I guess I'll have to check out that section of, uh, was that in permaculture designer's the, manual? Uh, designer's manual, yeah. It talks about how to okay. design. Yeah, I have it. I've never... I think I've glanced at it. It's it's a thick book. It is a thick book. So I'm not sure if there was like diagrams in there or if it was like all text and you had to like interpret. Oh no, that it's very rich in the pictures. Okay, good, good. And it's um, I mean he's he's Australian, right? And so, so he wrote it from like an Australian's perspective. So like things should be facing, I guess, I guess he wrote it. You said pole to equator. So it, it's I the same to... way. Northern hemisphere and Southern hemisphere. Yeah. I, I, try, I try to avoid using North and South because North and South in terms of a house means something very different to you. It does to me. So yeah. but on, it's very awkward to say pole facing and equator facing, but it's the best I can come up. Just so you no, I like it. It's helpful. When I, when I say the equator facing uh, windows, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whereas if I said yep. the windows, that's very different to what you would be thinking. Yeah. So, one of the things that, like, 
that I only found out recently is that you have, like you were building or are building a rammed earth house. Now that I, I dabbled a little bit in like learning about alternative building methods. I still think they're super cool. If I had, if I were to do it all over again, I would, I would do a rammed earth house here. Uh, I just, I just like the way they look. I think they're awesome. And I looked at going to a school up in Canada for like two weeks to learn how to build them. Uh, did, didn't have the time, didn't have the money. We just have a conventional house here, just like in ground insulated concrete forms for the, for the basement, blockout basement. And yeah, just stick frame up a type of that. But so when you're like, I, you know, I, I got to look at some rammed earth recently and then you're like, Hey, I have a rammed earth house. I'm like, uh, tell me everything. You're like, what, what do you want to know? I'm like, everything. I want to know about it. I want to know all about it. And in prepping for this, you had said that you're actually getting away from the rammed earth part of the build. Yeah. What happened there? Um, the equipment went away, uh, pretty much. Uh, that's what happened. Um, when I started, I had, um, had a guy, uh, a friend nearby who had his own um, Lumpcat skits the loader, and we were using that to um, mix up the uh, fiddle and put it at list it the way up into the top of the thing. Work perfect for it. And um, I bought a um, compressor because you need some serious um, compression. Pneumatic tamper is that what you're talking about? Tamper. Uh, yeah. Hoses, compressor, and mm -hmm. um, we, I think I had two weeks off, and we thought we're going to build this house. We're going to put it all, we're going to do it all in two weeks, and um, we soon discovered after the first week how brutal it is to do that. You're spending ninety percent of your time putting formwork together and taking formwork apart, and yep. and we hadn't even got close at the end of the first week, and I was looking at it going. Uh, and second week we did as much as we could, and then he had, um, then I had to go back to work. He had to go uh, take his um, bobcat back to his farm so he could do some work around the farm. Uh, he ended up moving quite a ways away and taking it with him. Now I thought, oh, so I can fly a bobcat, and I don't know how to drive it. You need two people, and I thought, well, I could do it in concrete. And I ended up selling the compressor, selling the um, hoses and amper, and I built my own concrete crane out of out of um, scrap wood with just a little um, workshop hoist on the top that picked the um, concrete up, by um, level and just dumped into a um, bucket. And of course, all you need um, concrete instead of this amp compressor is just a um, a vibrator. Sure. Yeah. So I, it was more just scaling down to what was manageable. Uh, that if if I had the tools, I'd have kept going with ramp earth. But um, this necessity meant I could I could turn it into uh, convert to concrete and using the same coloured uh, gravel as what I was using for ramp earth. It, it, they do look very similar. So I was able to blend the two, and where you, where you see the transition from ramp earth to concrete it, it looks okay you should send me a couple of pictures 
I should build that yet. What? That'd be awesome. I'm getting ready to um start some work on it, so I need to make place up and then I'll I'll do a video camera and short the uh regular. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, the uh the RAM dearth, like it does it, it for people that don't know, you're basically using like it's like sand, clay, a binder like lime or Portland cement, and then uh, I think there's one other ingredient and water. Um, are you thinking of the waterproofing agent? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, no, I thought there was. We were using road base, uh, sand, Portland cement, and mixing in some uh, waterproofing just to, just to make it less. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, and then so you 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 have to have a form just like concrete. You lay it in there and you tamp it. Now yeah. you can just tamp it by hand, or you could use a compressor with like a pneumatic tamper. So like you you push down and it like just vibrates, and so like you don't have to go up and down manually all the time. Just like you just sit there and guide guide it. Um, like like you were saying, the I've never done it. I've watched a lot of videos on it. It just takes a lot of time, like you're saying, before, like, especially if you have a little bit of a complicated house to like the the foundation and corners. And, you know, cause for the most part, it's only in exterior walls, anywhere from a foot thick to two foot, like two foot thick, like in Canada. Sometimes they put like four inches of foam in the middle. Um, but anyway, so like, yeah, it, it takes a lot of time to just put that all together. You dump in, like you gotta, you gotta get your ratios right. You dump it in the form, tamp it, let it sit, uh, do another layer, let it sit. And then you go to the top of your form and then, uh, you can either do the whole form, just, but that'd be crazy. Cause I don't know how you'd get to the bottom. If your walls are like 10 feet tall, a lot of people do like two foot sections and then another two foot section vertically just go up that way so uh, it's it's a lot of work it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of labor yeah. um the way we would do it was um two uh the sheets are 1200 mil which is i think it's foot yeah so that makes sense put the first one in place that tamp it tamp it up to the to just the top then you then you Put another one on top of that, bolt that down, and then go the rest of the way up the top. You're doing two stakes. Yeah. And because room dirt is semi dry anyway, um, and you're taking 15 minutes maybe to put that second back uh, on, it, it is quite seamless. Yeah. It's, uh, if your house isn't just like a perfect rectangle, like you have like little bump outs and angles and anything like that, it makes it makes it difficult to it's like it's like painting, right? Like the painting part takes no time at all. It's all the prep work, like masking off windows and doors and trim and and the other good thing about the Bill Mollison design houses, it's a perfect rectangle. Very very mm -hmm. long. Um, no more than two rooms deep, so it was perfect for round earth house slash concrete house. Very simple design. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that for sure. So another another aspect of of your home design is composting toilets. 
what yeah. what's your opinion on composting toilets? Um, I I think they're a greenwashing scam um, because hmm. yes, uh, to compost in the toilet requires a lot of technology. You have to vent it, you have to dry the stuff out, um, and then you uh, yeah, and you have to separate the pee from the um, solids. So there's, yeah. there's quite a lot of tech that goes into a composting Whereas, um, from what I've been reading from the more traditional um, people who uh, develop that sort of thing, is it's supposed to be a storage. So you, you, you have a container, that container's full, you put that container out for another one. I have actually, when I was researching it, found a couple of... Um, proper storage tool that they had some serious engineering going on underneath the slab. She needed almost like a cellar to um to go in underneath the toilet, um, underneath the slab and, and containers out. That was a huge engineering thing. I was looking at because I, I my plans had to meet standards. Yep. So I, a bucket wasn't going to cut it um, getting the house so I, I I pretty much look for the cheapest uh, approved composting toilet that I could find, and I bought that. I put that on the plan, so I got it approved, and it's going to use a bucket. Uh, and the, I got onto a guy named Joseph Jenkins who designed the human your toilets, and it is pretty much just a five-gallon bucket, nothing more, but you build the most beautiful wooden toilet around that. So to, to look at it, it, it looks very flash. It looks very uh, it's, mm. a, it's a really nice one, but it's a plastic five-gallon bucket inside. And once that's full, you swap it out, take it out. He recommended composting it in a uh, large composting bin a minimum two years. Because to sell his books, he, he wants to be meeting the minimum standard too, otherwise he wouldn't be taking being taken seriously and I did that I did that for a couple of years building up a big um, composting bin out in the garden then I I thought to myself I'm going to have to move this one day and that's hard work so I came up with another idea of making a hay bale composting bin in, in the garden and just building the hay bale up in this pyramid shape and eventually cover it and then that would break down into a, into a mound that you could plant trees around. And that mound would um, fertilize the rest of the trees. So you're not moving anything anywhere. I did that for a couple of years. And then eventually I came up with the idea, if I just dig a hole going to plant a tree, tip the contents into that hole, and put the tree on top. And by the time the roots have uh, made their way where the, uh, where the human is, uh, it's, it's already broken down. So that's actually my just dig a hole, dip it in there, plant a tree on top. And that, that seems good excuse to plant a tree. Yes. And sometimes I'll have a queue of trees waiting for me to fill a bucket. Sometimes I'll have a queue of buckets waiting for me to buy some more trees. So it somehow balances itself out. So in your system, are you separating the liquids and the solids or is it all just all, collected together all goes in very simple everything goes into that bucket um started using um when, when the toilet the famous toilet paper shortage came along 
I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? Um, I used, so I got onto uh, biodegradable wet wipes, but ba- baby wipes. And I and they, I don't know, so comfortable. Once you've tried a, um, a baby wipe, you never go back to wipe. It's, it's the best thing in the world. And so, yeah, that's and, true. And you get organic bamboo one that, um, that biodegrade. I thought, okay, you, you can't use them in the flush toilet because you need to have something that disperses almost immediately into a flush toilet. We will clog it. But bamboo, yeah. baby wipes, um, they're just going to decompose in the, in the whole wet treated. So I've never had that problem. So, what about your gray water system? Do you have a gray water system? It pretty much just went straight into Lake Pond, where I've got um, locusts, and that right over my shoulder is the gray water system. So that, that massive greenery you can see behind me is uh, okay. yep. a tree and some locust trees. There's a banana in there, Bananas aren't supposed to grow. It, it, it survives, but it's never flowered. So, like oh. a tree and um, elderberry trees in a circle, and the grey water just gets dumped into there, and they grow well. They grow there, like it's forming uh, trees over some the ones going around the grey water. So, very simple design. Nice. I'm looking at. We're 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 also thinking about getting ducks. For the same reason, like you, you had mentioned this fellow podcast, I listened to quite a few episodes where like he would have ducks and he would dump the ponds to fertilize the trees. Well, I recently saw a video on Instagram. I think either I saw it or my wife sent it to me. I don't remember. She's like, you know, it's good. Duck manure makes good, good fertilizer. So... You can use that to water your water your trees. It's kind of the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Taking a waste product and using it for something else. That's perfect. Um, you, you just got to select your trees. Uh, trees that like rich, moist um, fertilizer, hot, hot fertilizer. Um, go mm. perfect. Yeah. Some of our natives um, don't like high high phosphorus, so they would they would almost die instantly being around a crate. Oh. So you don't put them there. Um, you've sure. Put what works, and for me it happens to be locusts and oddberry. It's like the trees did the job. So, so you've got, you, you've got your grey water, you're going to be collecting rainwater, or currently collecting rainwater, it sounds like. Um, you use humanure to fertilize your like to plant underneath trees. What are what are some other like methods or techniques that you that you use? Well, another one I got off um, Jack Spurko's podcast was uh, Strawbale Gardens. Uh, he, he did that one. Day. Okay, yep. Turns out he didn't like it, and he gave up after the first one. He said, "No, nah, it's not for him." But um, after I tried it, it 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 was wonderful. Cause I've got this area just um, near near the shed that was a huge slope, and I built a uh, retaining base of it. And I started building up with um, garden uh, garden matter just to bring them up level and make that into a nice little garden. 
And um, one of the things I started doing to speed the process up was I'd built, I'd leveled it out as best I could, put a straw bale garden on top. And uh, seasonal vegetables, they'd last maybe six weeks before the um, straw bale garden started to decompose and be unusable. So I, I, I would rake it out. By, the time, by that time, the uh, vegetables had, were starting to be spent, salad greens, lettuce, cabbages, chard. So I'd rake that flat, um, put some more cardboard down, um, put another screwball gun on top of it. And I, I, I basically leveled that um, sloping bit of ground with screwball gardens when I built on top of each other. And I, I found them to be really good for an intensive garden. Put a layer of um, compost on top of the um, top of the straw bales, and it's pretty much thirty minutes, and you can be planting your vegetables into the um, into the straw bale garden. Hmm. It's like an instant garden, and I found those to be very very useful because of the rapid breakdown. Break it out, put another one on top, and very quick for building soil. You give me a good idea. Like I, I do remember when he uh when he tried the straw bale garden and it I think the guy he interviewed about that it the straw bale gar like it only lasts about a year, maybe two before yeah, like it just like falls apart. And I live in like it's kinda kinda like where you live. It's it's hot and it's dry. Now we don't we don't have like a monsoon season six months out of the year. It I I don't know uh, what your annual precipitation is, but ours is only like fifteen inches, um, fifteen inches a year. And so, if that straw bale garden like broke down, you could just disperse that organic matter to create more topsoil here and retain water in the ground. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, that it's 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 perfect for that. Uh, once once it's spent, just uh, rake it out and and start again. Now it's one of the uh, most effective uh, small scale ways of building soil. You would you wouldn't want to do that on a large area, but yeah, if you've got this one little dry patch that you want to intensively build up um, to be uh, quite fertile, on the straw log out, because you're also doing lasagna mulching by. It's right normally to put um, a layer, several layers of cardboard down just to stop fungus and mold growing up into this rubber. It makes it absolutely and, and that, of course, that cardboard breaks down as well because you're constantly watering it. Literally. Some of the way that's You're coming out there with the watering can and uh, giving the, the screwball garden uh, a good water, and that's easy enough to do by hand. Because it's such a small, intensive garden. Yeah, not not everything can grow in a straw bale uh, garden either. Like I, I thought like potatoes don't work or like carrots don't work or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what doesn't work. Root vegetables that are going to end up trying to send that root down into the hay. That, uh, that's it's basically yeah. we 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 do salad kale, lettuce, um, mainly kale and lettuce, chard, chard as well. But yeah, that, that's so, what's, what's some stuff that you've tried that hasn't worked well? 
um, putting a garden straight into the into the uh, soil, uh, it's well dismal because we have bottomless gravel here. This this um this in fact used to be a um a gravel pit because the the gravel so perfect here. It's like a thin, very thin layer of leaf litter, and this leaf litter doesn't break down for decades. Just sits on top. But yeah. um, so I when I, when I first started, I sectioned off the area, planted um, vegetables straight into the ground, and they just shriveled up and died. So it's simply because there's annoying soil here. So, uh, yeah, that was the best thing to do. And then I'm going to have to build soil. So it's either intensively built the soil with a scrub garden or um, long-term building the soil with moving the livestock across the, um, the gravel. Yeah, that was my biggest discovery was that. There's no soil here, so I don't bother trying to plant straight into the soil. You've got to build it first. Well, that'll probably save your back in the long term anyways, right? If you're if you're using a straw bale garden or a raised bed, you don't have to hunch over as far? Um, yeah. We've got raised beds in our aquaponics area. That's that's another thing I've tried that's really well is the aquaponics. Um and raised bed is just it's easy to keep wet because it's contained and it's a small area. And uh, yeah, you, even on the hottest days, you, you watering can you've got those birds, vegetables that are doing fine. Whereas out 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 in the garden, out in the garden, they're they're on their own. They're not going to do well. So it, small, intensive um, gardens is definitely the way to go. We found that out the hard way. <laughs> well, at like, do you, in those gardens, do you do like square foot gardening on top of that? Or do you just like, do you just kind of like plant it and go? Uh, square foot gardening, I'll only to get a quick refresher on that one. It's, uh, it's, it's the idea that you intensely plant stuff. Like it's almost like too close together. Mm-hmm. But you you have like little grid lines, either either like physical or you know just kind of like eyeball it, like draw it on the dirt or something. And um, okay, I'm gonna plant like it says on the packet of seeds, you know, one plant every I don't know three square feet. Well, I'm gonna put eight of them in there or something. Oh, that sounds exactly like what we do. Okay, uh, yeah. So and I'm also. The closer together they are, the less sun is hitting the ground around them. So you, you want to be protecting the ground for evaporation as much as possible. Yeah, pick it up. Yeah, I think we just naturally do that rather than intentionally do that. Just get as sure. much in as we can and just harvest it as fast as it's going to go. What's been the biggest challenge in homesteading that you faced? That would definitely have to be trying to stop the water disappearing over summer because uh, bare earth is the um, norm here. Um, so, it, yeah, just the, the endless gravel. Uh, when it rains, the water disappears straight down and when, when the uh, sun comes out in summer, the water's going straight back up again. So it's just trying to build a sponge 
can hold the water up over over some because in summer I'm intensely irrigating which is not worth it. And that, that's brutal hard work. And I just want to get it to the point where uh, I'm recording. So I, yeah, the biggest thing here, if I can hold the water, um, I do a lot less manual work myself. And I've got more time for doing other things. So it's building a sponge layer with um, rotating the animals and um, the shade. From the and I also put in a lot of shade. Old shade, shade is very just cools things down, keeps the sun off. Sort of. So yeah, by far the biggest challenge is just keeping the sun away from sure. If I, if I can do that, everything else. Right. Have you tried bringing in any clay to like? I I have no idea how this would work, but like, put clay on top of the gravel that your property sits on. So like, it's like a natural barrier for the water. So like, it doesn't just go into, just doesn't go straight to the gravel and into the ground that it kind of holds it there a little longer. Um, I have thought about it, but, um, I'm not, a, I'm not a hundred percent sure you can buy clay. In yeah. I think people who build their, their ponds and dams and so forth, do it with where there's an existing um, patch of clay. So I, I, I've never heard or seen clay as a thing that you can get dropped in. And, right. Um, also, I think perhaps if I'm, if I'm building enough um, organic matter, that's going to start holding the water. And, uh, right. The silt run off. So I, I've got a dry lake um, on, on the property. I sort of direct to um, direct flowing to as much as I can. And I'm hoping that over the years of grass growing in winter, dying in summer, growing in winter, dying in summer, that's going to build up a, an organic layer, which is a more natural way than, you know, than a clay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping I can do that naturally. And at the same time, in the more intense zones, Immediately around the house and shed, I can put in a little bit more physical labour and um, get that organic matter filled. So yeah, right. it's logistics that's stopping me from doing the clay, clay thing. Yeah, that would be. I mean, it'd be a lot of it'd be a lot of clay, and who's to say it would even work? You know, you could do all that work, and you have like a. I mean, it would be like sealing a pond, right? So, like, you're supposed to put down, like, clay in the bottom of a pond. Well, they don't always seal, so. And, yeah, unless you're putting it into a catch-shaped bowl, like a pond, if you just put clay straight down on the ground, um, that hardens up. Now, when it rains, it's the rain's going to sheet straight off that clay and keep going. I guess you've pretty much clay, you're going to be turning that into a pond. So I would hate to um, become a hard runoff surface. Actually, losing At least when right. water gravel, the, the, the deeper rooted plants will chase them all down. So, <clears throat> what would you say the best part about homesteading is? 
me in a second. I can do anything I want. Because I, I've got room. If I, if I want to experiment with a project, I can go way over there and um, build it, take my time. It's not in the way. It's just having room to do things. I, I understand you can do your homesteading garden but uh you've got to be very conscious of um space available space for projects you've got to pack things up up you finish but here i can sort of have a project running and um get to it when i can uh and just the fact that i can wake up in the morning and i look around and i'm just surrounded by trees and um traffic and buildings just the serenity of everything um and as a connection with nature as well. So that uh, I am responsible for uh, gathering food or going up the chicken coop every morning collecting all the eggs for breakfast. That's that's just the one most wonderful feeling. Rather than having to go to the shop and buy eggs or I haven't bought eggs for decades. And I I hope I never have to. And it's not even the eggs being better quality is part of the story. But it's also the fact that they're, they're just there. I can just walk up and grab them when I need them. And they obviously aren't free because it ends cost money to maintain. But I think there's more just that connection with the uh, connection with nature. That, uh, I look after the hens that produce the um, eggs that I go up and get teeth boiling and put into my breakfast. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a good feeling. That that is a good feeling so like that you can that that's just another thing that you don't have to go buy yes you can provide for yourself like okay i'm i'm starting to take i'm starting to be able to provide for myself just one little piece at a time just one little piece that's all that's all you got to do just one step right and it makes it easier with um with food preparation as well because if you go to the shop you think oh what do I like there's so much choice here I can have that or I can have that or I can have it but here it's like well I'm going this is growing at the moment so we're going to pick this and we're going to make something with that so this yeah. is very very simple rather than thinking oh which aisle am I going to go down and sleep? like no this is this is it this is what we're having because it's the thing that's growing at the moment. It's the thing that's in season. So we're right. looking forward to um, peach season coming up. Because peaches are, have been one tree that's just done remarkably here. Not not a grafted named peach either. So it's one that grew from seed and just appeared on the property. And I started uh, collecting the seeds ever since. And that's awesome. You, you take the uh, stone from the peach, put it, um, grow it, and within I would say two years, that's producing more peaches. So this is its bone little um, like that land race species of peach that I've got here. But that that's a really good feeling. So when I'm eating those peaches, I'm thinking, this is my peach. This this peach doesn't exist anywhere else in the world except here. That's really funny. That's good. That's good. So wrapping up here, what do you? What would you tell people that want to get started? Uh, just do it. Uh, don't worry about whether you have the skills. That's what YouTube's for. That's what social media is for. Just um, get out there. Um, 
get some of it, some sort of accommodation going and prepare to do without the luxuries and a little bit of self-sacrificing. You can have what you want. Just, uh, just take that first step. Um, planning is fun, but um, you can get wrapped up in the planning, as Jeff Milton said, so paralysis by analysis. Just uh, make sure you're not going to die. Get out there and just get started. Make all the mistakes you can and, uh, and start learning. That's right. That's, that's really well said. Well, Sudra, go ahead. There's no, there's no shame in making mistakes. Making mistakes means, means you've now got an opportunity to learn something new. That's right. Yep, I make mistakes every week, almost every day, every year. <laughs> so, so not the same I think things. I... Uh, slight, slightly different mistakes, yes. So... But hey, uh, I appreciate your time this morning, uh, jumping on this call and doing this interview with me. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun asking all these questions about about rammed earth and you know your setup after you know engaging for for quite a while on Twitter. So it's good we can finally do this. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. I am Matt DeRosier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. Welcome to your farm to help and to me and the family a trunk and an RV send us a message and there